0: Tomorrow can be bigger. Just grow, let the world overflow in. Yeah. Give a life bigger than yourself. You're created for greatness. Give a life bigger than
1: yourself. Bigger. You are listening to the Live Big Broadcast with Derek Greer. Today, we will hear a classic message that we believe will be a blessing to you. Our goal is to teach God's Word in a way that compels you to live a life that overflows and blesses others. Let's get started.
0: Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and in John chapter 6, verse 15, the Bible says they wanted to take him and make him king. And we find this narrative beginning, not just with the crowds pushing, but with Jesus pushing back. Jesus refused to let people make him something he didn't want to be. You see, one of my problems early in my walk was I wanted to be like Jesus, but my image of Jesus was this crazy religious figure. But what God had to do over the years is say, man, you got to get back into the Word." He had to refresh my image of the master. And I can only be like him to the degree I understand him, know him and truly see him. Are you tracking with me? Church portrays numerous images of Christ, but we have to go back to the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to show us the true image of the risen Lord. He begins the narrative by pushing back. And I believe many of you in this room gotta get this pushed back spirit. You gotta get that thing inside you where you're not gonna let somebody make you be anything less than what God's called you to be. Not an ounce more, not an ounce left. You hear what I'm You gotta sometimes push back on the world, even well-meaning people, to be successful in the kingdom. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made. The Greek there, the term made suggests a crisis. It literally means he forced. And when we understand the context, we understand that Christ was a counterforce. And when the world comes crushing and crashing in on, you got to learn to to roar back. The devil's like a roaring lion. He is, and that's true. But the last I checked, Jesus is, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And these times call for lion-hearted people. Do you know how a lion catches his prey? He roars. And it so frightens the animal that often it stutters for just a second. But that millisecond is just enough for the lion to get the upper hand. And often when circumstances come against us, that millisecond of fear, we, we, we just freeze in our step. Often that second of indecision and doubt is the moment that catches us. And causes us to become prey to the adversary. But the the world is roaring. King, king, king. But Jesus knew his kingdom was not of this world. I'm not trying to be that type of king. And people will always, the world will try to press you into a mold that God's not assigned. You need to know who you are. If there's one thing Jesus knew, it was who he was. And if you don't know who you are, you don't know when you're not being yourself. The Holy Spirit comes to convince us or convict us of all what? Righteousness, being your right self. Get you back in your right mind, a right revelation of who you really are. Immediately, Jesus made, you need to know that this is an incredible crowd, over 20,000 people. This is an a, a incredible feat for him to dismiss this crowd. Everyone's following after him. I mean, right now, he is popular. He actually, he has to put his, let me, let me keep reading. The disciples got on the boat, a natural means of transportation, and went on ahead of him to the other side. Jesus gives them very clear instructions. Why who dismissed the crowds? Why did Jesus have to dismiss the crowds? Because the disciples agree with the crowd. You see, the disciples wanted him to sit on the throne of Caesar as well. And sometimes the reason we're not useful in the kingdom is not because we don't have the skill set or the ability. It's because we don't have the heart. The disciples couldn't dismiss the crowd because in their heart they agree with the crowd. So Jesus has to put them off in the boat by themselves and he has to do their work. And sometimes others have to do our work because we don't have the right heart. you got the skill set. You have the ability. You even have the assignment. But sometimes the question is, do you have the right heart? After Jesus dismisses, now there's 5,000 men. Usually in church, there's more women than men. And these guys robust. They didn't have birth control like we do today. They had many children. So you know that this crowd was upwards of 20,000 people. Jesus goes against the will of the crowd and says, y'all got to go on the way for me. I got some things to do with the father. He personally dismisses the crowd. In verse 23, after he what? Dismissed them. Often we got to dismiss circumstances and things in our life to have true and quality prayer time. Are you hearing me? After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to what? You see, the demands of life will conspire against you. Prayer to me is like what Samson's hair was to him. It's like what Moses' staff was to Moses. It was like what Elijah's mantle was to him. Do you hear what I'm saying? Prayer was to Christ. And let me tell you something. Many think, people think, well, pastor, you can speak that way because you're in the ministry. You need to understand that, that being in the ministry is one of the most difficult places to be if you want to have a prayer life. Because people are works in progress. And if they're works in progress, that means always, there's always more work. And my schedule constantly conspires against private time with the master. All day long, something's pulling on me. Somebody needs me. There's some urgent need foisted on my life to get me out of my place of strength. But sometimes you have to dismiss the crowds. Now listen, there were over 20,000 needs, but Jesus dismissed them. You need to learn sometimes to let some folk go. I said, I love you. I'll, I'll be with you again later on tomorrow. But for right now... I need to be with the master. You got to draw some light. You need to fight sometimes for finish lines in your day. Are you tracking with me? You have to fight to stay on focus and message. If I get out of prayer, see, listen, a lot of ministers minister out of their gift. I can't do that. Thank God for my gifting, but I minister out of my life and gift. Two different things. Your gift will function whether you're right or you're wrong. But if you minister out of your life and gift, there's a different quality. There's a a weight of glory. There's a density to what happens that wouldn't happen otherwise. Are you tracking with me? My life I can't dismiss. So my gift may work in spite of me, but not my life. Are you tracking with me? After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Now, we see an example of true spiritual leadership. While his disciples are at sea, he's up the mountain at prayer. And my strongest place, believe it or not, is not in the pulpit. It's in the prayer closet. Many of the issues we face at sea, if we would spend enough time in the prayer closet, we know how to handle the storm. Are you hearing me? Many people say, well, pastor, preach again. No, no, no. Listen, if if you really want me to help you, you need me to get before the father calling on that name. You hear what I'm saying? When evening had come. Now, around 6 o'clock, he dismissed these, these folk. Twilight began to fall. By 6 o'clock, all the crowds are gone. I'm sorry, by 9 o'clock. Around this time, typically in the ministry of Christ, this is when he reserved and cut out time to speak to his disciples. Now, he preached great messages to the crowds, but he, he saved the choice material, if you will, but 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 the the, the, the the real meaning of the message he broke down when he had special and secret meetings with his disciples. But the Bible goes on to mention the time of evening because he's trying to communicate something. Because those of us that study the Bible closely, we understand this is the time that he he, he typically teaches. But this particular time, this evening was reserved for the test. See, God will teach you because he loves you. But because he loves you, he'll also test you. Please hear me. He will not tempt you. But every good teacher will instruct you and then give you a test. The test is not to prove that you misunderstood. It's to prove that you did understand. See, you know, if you have a real diamond on your finger, why are you concerned if, you know, they try to scratch glass? It's real. And sometimes God permits life to test our metal, to cause everything surrounding us to come to understand that this is not phony. This is what real they had sat for for quite some time listening to him in the evening. But this particular evening was reserved for a test. The Bible emphasized again he was there alone. But the boat was already considerable distant from land, about three and a half miles, buffeted by the waves because the wind was what? This may trouble us because of our pop theology. We think if God is with us, we'll never face nothing. But live long enough, you're going to find that that is very far from true. I want you to notice that they obeyed Jesus. They were under his authority. You need to, to, to understand that they were not out of the will of God. And many people will sit on the sidelines, criticize, say, well, you're going through this particular crisis because God has not necessarily sent you. Not always true. The reality was Jesus told them to get he, he he sat them in the boats, told them to go on the other side. But sometimes even in the will of God, we face storms and we look and say, Lord, if you were Lord, why did the storm come? Well, the storm came just to prove that what I'm teaching you is so you say you believe in healing. So when you get that report, what's the big deal? Or is it just a doctrine? Were you just trying to be Pentecostal, Charismatic? Was it something you believe? You you, you understand. There's many things we can say doctrinally, but life has a way of testing our doctrine to determine the purity of it. Are you tracking with me? It says, "But the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It was beaten by the waves because the wind was what against it." Now this sea. Was, you know, it was the Sea of Genesaret, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. The Bible calls it numerous names. But what we know about this sea, because we've taught it before, is that it's beneath sea level. And when a north wind would blow from Europe or, or thereabouts, it would hit the hot air that was right above the lake. And often there would be a collision and, and it would cause pressure to, to rise. And sometimes the, the air would begin to turn and storms were sudden at this particular, on this particular sea. So Jesus intentionally sends them out into a boat, into a storm. And what's interesting is Jesus goes high enough where he can pray to the Father, but he's high enough also where he can see the boat. So Jesus makes sure, Jesus is watching. He has his eye on them just like he has his eye on you. He is watching you. He's watching you carefully. But he knows sometimes if he rescues you too quickly, you'll never grow strong. Sometimes if I help my children too quickly, they'll not grow strong. Sometimes when they come off the field, brother Frank, whining and crying, I need to say, just get up and and, 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 man, boy, suck it up. There you go. Suck it up. Because there's greatness in you, boy. And I'm not going to mama it out you. Sometimes we need mothering, but sometimes we need daddies in our lives. And Jesus, uh, he saw them guys in the storm. It was probably raining on the shore, but, you know, if you've ever been, uh, you know, on the beach when a storm is further out in the ocean, you can see the gray and you can see the wind and the water vapors up on, on, you know, on top of the water. So Jesus saw, but he didn't come. Don't say, well, God, if you if you knew what was going on. No, 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 no. God knows what's going on. And because he knows he's staying right where he is. See that the right hand of God, the father (laughs) through the Holy Ghost, if you will, praying for us. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus, it says he's praying at nine. When we get into the story, the narrative, we're going to find that they've been rowing for a long time. It's not until three o'clock in the morning that Jesus begins to do anything. I don't understand why, but God is wise. And he knows sometimes he has to wait to at the end of ourselves to reintroduce us to the real self. He wants us to be. Are you hearing me? You see, I have found in my life when I'm at wit's end, that's when God gives me a revelation, of true wit. You hear what I'm saying? He begins to show me, no, no, that's, you see where you are, but this is where you can be, boy. Now, come on up. But sometimes he has to wait to that moment of desperation for me to reach for more of me and more of him. Are you hearing? Three and a half miles. They were buffeted because of the winds and the waves. But I want you to notice here, the good thing about the disciples is they could have very easily stopped rowing. They could have said, well, just let the wind drive us and it will take us back to shore. Typically, when you're at sea, that's what you do. You'll pick up anchor if, if it gets too strong and you'll just, that's what Paul did. Remember that particular chapter in, in Acts? He, they just went with the wind. But the disciples are obedient to the word of God. So here they are, they are dutifully, you know, rowing against the wind. And you see, God sometimes lets things happen to see how much row is in you. Do you understand? See, he lets stuff rise in a life to, to see, will you let me rise in you? Yes. Lift up your heads, all oh, ye gates, ye everlasting. Let there be a rising up. You hear what I'm saying? Within us, see. Sometimes and I feel like I'm belaboring the point, but sometimes it's, it's important. God will intentionally just kind of back away. It's not because He doesn't love you; it's because He loves you. Okay. Supernatural. We get this messed up. God is supernatural. Super, from the Latin or Greek, I don't recall. Supra, above. We think that if we worship God and follow God, we'll always be above the natural. Not true. They begin in a boat, but Peter ends walking on water. They were trying to cross the Jordan River to enter in the promised land. What happened? The priest went in with the Ark of the Covenant and got wet up to the breast. And then God opened the waters. Often God says, man, you do everything you can. And then when you get to the end of what you can do, let me show you what I can do. In other words, you do what's natural. Once you get far enough into the deep, I will come with what's super, do you hear? And all, all the supernaturals, God adding his super to our natural, but they're never to be apart. I'm always a natural man. If I ever become an unnatural man, I would be, you know, translated up in glory. You never see me again. Jesus was a natural man, got hungry, even though he was God taking on flesh. But what God did is the anointing of God was upon him, added super to Christ's perfect natural. So you cannot be spiritually right or, or spiritually flow with God until you get your natural together. That's why God got to deal with character. That's why God got to get you looking in the mirror to deal with you. Because if you, if, you, if your natural's all messed up and God adds super to it, it just poisons the whole thing. And that's what many of us do in the church. We don't deal with truth. We don't deal with our own lives, but we want God to fall. And then when God falls, it's confusing to everyone else around because they're like, God, because we're saying, how could God bless that mess? It's supernatural. Jesus was not a spirit. He became a man. And because his natural was so perfect, the super had no limit. Are you hearing me? During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus waits. He could have walked earlier, but you need to understand that people's needs should not always pull you out of the presence of the father. If Jesus Christ is love and he would say, listen, I need to be with the father just a little bit longer before I go and mess with this thing. How much more do you and I that need Jesus, you understand? Beyond measure. Every now and then you need to leave the dishes. You see, I'll preach this differently another time. We'll talk about the importance of the dishes. We need to hit this from every angle. But every now and then you need to leave the dishes. Every now and then you need to need to e- need to even turn over your plate. Every now and then you need to just the car's just gonna be a mess because I need to go tend to the Father. Do you hear? But after you get your to tending, do tend to the natural. But let your tending to the natural come because you're with the super. And let it be an outflow, an expression of what happened in the closet. Are you you tracking with me? Jesus waits at three o'clock in the morning. These guys are tired. And if you're tired, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because it's all part of the process. He waits till their arms are giving up. They're shaking at the oars. Lord, I'm trying to stay in your will. I'm trying to move this thing. You told me to go to the other side. I'm going, Lord. Jesus, I'm trying. Jesus does not show up until they're like this. You see, I, I wanted that sweet Jesus everyone talked about in religious circles. But I ran into a man's man. I ran into a coach. I, I ran into a leader that saw more in me than I ever saw in myself. And he demanded stuff of me. Talk about another lap boy, another lap boy. There's another lap in you. I'm like, I'm tired of another lap boy, another You hear what I'm saying? Haven't I running up another lap boy? Matter of fact, sprints. God. I'm like, it hurts, Lord. I know. My muscles are sore, God. I'm getting dizzy. I feel like I'm a pet. Yeah, I know. But when you're weak, I'm strong. They say, What type of life is that? That's a life of passion. God said, he, he, he said, Blessed are those that are hungry and thirst after righteousness. The only appropriate response to righteousness is to desire it passionately. He said, you're not blessed if you know some scriptures or know some righteous people or you know some righteous, but when you begin to thirst after it, when you begin to desire it, when you want it more than your sleep, you want it more than than your eat, you want it more than the breath that you breathe. I want this thing, God. When you want it like that, then you're close. But he keeps pushing me like he's pushing you, saying there's more in you, son. Reach deeper. Dig in there. I put something in you that I've hid from all your teachers in school. I've hit it from every other thing in your life. And only I can reach it. And I'm going to push it to that point that you grab it. And then when you grab it, you're going to become it. And you're going to begin to glow from the inside out. People ain't going to understand it. Are you hearing me? See, it's one thing when you got a glow that comes from the sun on the outside. It's nothing. you got a glow because you reach down deep inside. Yeah, yeah. The sun shines from the inside out. Yeah, come on. I want to be like the son of God in every yeah. respect. Finally, Jesus goes out. Walking on a lake. How could he walk on a lake? You say because he's Jesus. Okay, but God became a man. And his manhood is an example. The only way you can walk on the water is after you spend a night in prayer. The thing is, I tried to walk on water times in my life and almost drowned. Because I had good intentions but not a strong enough prayer life. But when you walk out of the presence of God into your day. I hear what I'm saying. I mean, you, you walk out of the very presence of God into the presence of your wife, your children. You walk out of the presence into a pulpit. Out of a presence into your seat on a job. Out of, out of your God's presence into a, a, a position before a chalkboard. Do you understand? Dude, when you walk out of the presence, you can do anything. Don't cop out saying, well, you were Jesus. That's why. No, no, no. Learn from his life. He was showing us how to do this thing. And the only way as a leader, I'm going to be able to walk in this anointing. The only way you're going to be able to do it as a leader, you are a leader. If you influence one person, you are a leader. What is leadership? Influence. If you influence one person, you're a leader. My prayer is that your leadership comes out of the very presence of God. And as a leader, you can do the super above natural. Do you understand? Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples looked at them or, or saw them, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. They said, and they cried out in fear. God wants to do some things that you don't have categories for. Where do I fit this? You know, we have file cabinets in our minds. This experience goes here and here, okay, here. But what do you do when you don't even have a, a must, you, you certainly don't have a file, you don't even have a cabinet to fit a man walking on water towards your boat. Do you hear me? But God wants to destroy our categories, our limitations. Are you hearing me? He wants to do some things. See, this is not good preaching. This is truth. He wants to do some things that you have no categories. God's doing some things in my life. I don't even know how to explain no more. How did this? um, God. It's like, man, I've been trying to get you for 40 odd years to a place where you have no explanation. Well, all you God. Truth. You know, I can give you. You know, skills and insights on how to stay married. But if I'm really honest, all these years, God. Yes. Yes. Now, I could talk to you about parenting, know some things. I talk to you a bit, a bit about how to make money, know some things. If I'm really honest, God. <laughs> because some of it defies categories. You got to go into talking in tongues because you, you can't say it. You can't say it. You can't explain it. Hundred, you understand. you understand? That's That's where you go. All you can do is point God, you know, him, 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 him. He did it. He did it. Jesus destroys their categories. He's about to take them to a new level of leadership. Whenever God takes you to a new level of leadership, there's often a test. And in that test, it untangles and destroys things that were set in your brain that weren't right. And you see, sometimes God comes specifically to knock over golden calves and, and, and to knock over, you know, sacred cows. So he's messing up these Jewish boys. These Jewish boys know the Bible, too, by the way. He's messing up all their concepts. All the kinds of what God is, what man can do. It's all confusing here. They don't know what to do. But the other thing you notice here is they seem to give more credit to the devil than God. Many of us are like that. We'll talk up what the devil's doing. All the devil taking over the United States. The devil doing it. All what he doing with the children. But what about God? What about God? They saw this thing say, said, oh, it must be the devil. It must be a ghost. But Jesus immediately speaks. Now, this is not natural speech. In the middle of a raging storm... You could barely hear your own thoughts, much less some man out in the water coming towards your boat. And then the boat is pretty long at that. All 12 men heard simultaneously what the master said. What we need is God to get past speaking to my brain. I need to get past another book or another reading session. I need God to speak to my heart. God spoke, but it wasn't to their ears. I don't even know how loud he spoke, but their hearts heard it. I come to church not just to fill my brain, but to feed my heart. And I need in my life, like you do in your life, a word from God. That deep down in my toes, start curling up a little bit because it's so deep. I need I need a word that's, that's just deep in me to face the crisis. But notice there was a word in your crisis. If you would acknowledge him, do you understand? He will speak the word. Let's keep going. Jesus says, take courage. Literally cheer up. Just like he, just like Jesus is not a guy to invite to funerals. Remember last week? Totally messed it up. Totally messed it up. Don't you know what I'm going through, pastor? Yeah. It's really bad. I know. Doesn't the Bible say with we within we? Yeah. But sometimes Christ is an awful comforter. He'll look you straight in the eye and say, cheer up. I'm drowning, God. My arms are shaking, God. But he says, cheer up, Jesus. He's the same God. In other words, boys, I put in you what I'm demanding from you. God will not permit life to demand something from you that he's not put in you the stuff to handle. Scripture says it differently. He won't let you go through something without giving you the strength to stand under that time of trial. According to Jesus, Jesus is not a liar. And even if Jesus wasn't a God, but he is, he was perfectly astute. He understood people. If he told them to be of good cheer, they had the capacity to be of good cheer. And what he was saying, boys, you need to draw on that thing deep down inside. I've been teaching you this thing. You've been watching me. You remember when they tried to throw me off the cliff? I walked right through that crowd. You remember all them different times. Boys, you, I've been teaching you that King God's like seed. I've been teaching you all this stuff. I've been teaching you kings. And, I've been teaching you all that stuff. And here I show up in the middle of your test and you all nervous
1: and afraid. This has been a classic edition of the Live Big Broadcast with Derek Greer, pastor of Grace Church in Dumfries, Virginia. We pray that you join us tomorrow as we continue this teaching. Our prayer is that this teaching from God's word strengthens and inspires you to live a life bigger than yourself. So remember, you can access this message and much more for free at gracechurchva.org.